day. Are y'all going to be here Christmas Day, or are you just going to be eating food? Okay, well, <laughs> I'm actually not going to be here. We're going to be uh, visiting family in Missouri. So I figured we'd uh, sing some Christmas songs today and uh, see if Carrie will do a repeat of it next Sunday. So uh, we're going to be doing that. And and in between, if you want to think about, you know, what what does... What does Christmas mean to you? Uh, obviously, it's become a very uh, commercialized holiday, and uh, <clears throat> the world pushes, you know, all the things that go along with that. Whether it's the Santa Claus and the reindeer and the elves and the gifts and the Spending money and eating food and and whatever all and and most of them are not necessarily bad in themselves. I mean, uh, Santa Claus is kind of pointless, but uh, um, but that uh, it takes away from what Christmas is really all about. So what? Think about it. What does it mean to you? Yeah, the birth of Jesus. But. What else does that entail? We think about Jesus as, as a little baby, but he didn't stay a little baby. Now, that, was, that was an important, that was an important uh, <clears throat> happening. The rest of the plan of salvation would not have happened without the miraculous virgin birth of the Son of God. But he didn't stay a baby, and... That seems to be where a lot of society likes to keep Jesus, is that cute little baby in the manger. Not as a king, not as a brother, not as a friend, not as Lord. So much easier just to have a little baby. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't uh, put any uh, uh, responsibility on us to uh, follow him or to obey his words if we can just keep him a baby. So... That's, to me, that's the challenge, and and I want to pass on each one of you in in this time to remember, while it's it's incredibly important to remember the blessing of God in in opening up the plan of salvation in that way, that that's just a small part of it, and let's not keep Jesus a baby in our hearts. I think most of the songs I picked here this morning are uh, fairly familiar Christmas carols to you. So if you want to stand and sing, you can. If you want to sit, uh, that is fine as well. And and in between the songs, if you have anything to share about what Christmas means to you, feel free to do that. Somebody stand up other than just Faith and Dave. And there we go. We got a few people joining you.
adoring. Again, that, that doesn't stop with uh, adoring a baby. What does it mean to adore our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? What does that mean to you? One translation says, admire him. Okay. Amen. There's not really a wrong answer. I just want to hear what, what you think about when, when you think about adoring. Anyone else? Loving him? That's right. You like to spend time with people that you adore, that you love. Silent Night. All right. Uh, Right before the last verse of this song, there's a scripture reading mixed in there, so don't let that throw you for a loop. And uh, you can hum in the background. That's what you'll hear on, on the track. So just so it doesn't uh, confuse you. child is born, 
to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness for that time on and forever. about it this week, you know, trying to imagine. Does anyone remember how much time elapsed between the last of the prophets until Jesus' birth? How much time was that? Anyone know? 400 years. 400 years. So you're talking, what, five, six generations of people? 400 years. Can you imagine? It was uh, it was a pretty dark time in in uh, God's people's lives, the children of Israel. But yet, God was faithful. His promises were still faithful, and it was a challenge to me, you know. 400 years, I mean, you're talking great, 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 great grandfather. And, and if I hadn't seen any power necessarily or, or any movement of God in that amount of time and only heard about it from however many great grandfathers ago, what would my response be? Would I still be looking? For the promises of God. Sometimes in our lives we feel like we're we're not hearing from God or God's not talking to us or whatever the case may be. But none of us have went through a, a time like that where they had to believe in faith that God was still going to keep his promise. And he did. Of Israel and the whole 
coming. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus, brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to, to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anne, the daughter of Phineal, of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with a husband seven years after her marriage, and then as he widowed to the age of 84. And she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of
I especially like the picture of the third verse in that song. How uh, it says, how silently Christ came. And, you know, it wasn't in some great big fancy way, you know, being presented in a palace as a king or anything. I mean, yes, you had the, you know, the shepherds and later on the wise men, you did have the heavenly hosts appearing and things like that. But it was, it was simple. It was a little baby born essentially in a barn. And how like that, some of God's best gifts to us come silently and often not in some big flashy way but you know that's that's kind of what we want we we like to have some big flashy sign of God giving us something and he does that at times but that's quite frequently not the way he uh, works and that's not even how he sent his son to us so Look for the small things. Look for the quiet things that God sends into your life. I think you all know this next one. What is with that? Hmm. <laughs> that is interesting. Well, you know it without the words. I'm not sure what for glitch that was, but uh, that was an interesting one. It almost looked like Russian or something. can or not and they are kind of fast all right here's one that uh, you might uh, you definitely know but you may not be, feel comfortable singing but uh, sing along the best you can or just 
enjoy a hallelujah praise to the Lord. If you can, please do stand for this one. Um, there's a special ending on it. There's a pause at the last verse where everybody is quiet except for Carrie. Uh, there's a story behind that. If you want to know, ask him. <laughs> between there if you want to. It didn't catch Carrie that time, though. All right. I love that song. All right, you can be seated. <coughs> All right, kids, come on up here, and uh, I'm going to have a little story for you, or I'll have something for you at least, I think. Now, I am not going to do a Christmas story this morning. Maybe I should have. Caden, do you want to come up here? You don't. I'm just going to stand there and watch from there. <coughs> I was fresh out of ideas, so <coughs> I asked uh, my girls what I should talk about in children's lesson. And 
Sherry thought I should tell some stories about Moses as an adult. Now, I thought that was pretty good, because what, what do you guys think about when you think about Moses? What stories do you think about? Anyway. In Egypt? What, what happened to him in Egypt? Okay. That he was he was actually part of the Jews, but what 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 else? What what are some of the first things you think about? Anybody here when you, when you think about the story of Moses? I'm sorry. Okay, Ten Commandments, Red Sea, leading the children of Israel. You you remember stories about Moses as a baby? What happened to him as a baby? Okay, that's right. So that that's often the story that, as kids, that's the first thing we learn about uh, Moses. And you think about Moses as a little baby and, and being raised by a princess in, in Egypt. That's a pretty cool story, don't you think? But it didn't it didn't end there. Do you know what Do you know what happened to Moses when when he was a little older and he was still living in the king's house and all of a sudden he had to leave the king's house. You know why that was? Remember that story? Any of you know that one? What happened? Do you remember why why all of a sudden Moses had to run away? You don't remember that one? Okay, well here's some stories about Moses as an adult. So, all the Jews, they were, they were slaves in Egypt. You knew that, right? They were all slaves there. And one day, so Moses, he's living in the king's house. Even though he's one of the Jews, he was adopted by the princess and the king's family. So he, he didn't have to be a slave. But he knew that his family and all his relatives, they were all slaves. And it kind of, it, it made him upset to see them being mistreated. And one day... He was out and about somewhere, and he saw one of the Egyptian guards beating up one of the Jews, probably because he wasn't, he didn't think he was working hard enough. And he saw him beating him up, and Moses was like, okay, this, this isn't right. He's beating up one of my relatives. What did Moses do? Get the guard. Yeah, he killed the guard. Whoa, wait a minute. What happens when you kill somebody? You get in trouble, right? So that that wasn't, even though he was trying to defend the other Jews, that probably wasn't a good thing for him to do. So, wait a minute. He killed somebody, so what's going to happen to him? Are you going to get punished for that? He could have gotten killed himself or thrown in jail. So what did he do? He ran away. All of a sudden, wait a minute. He can't live in the king's palace anymore because he killed somebody. He's got to run away. Where did he go? Do you know where he went? He went, well, he, he went to take care of sheep, but it was out in the desert. Would you guys like to live out in the desert? I lived in a desert for about five years. I didn't really enjoy it. Do you know how long 
Moses lived in the desert? 40 years. Now, I'm just a little over 40 years old. That would mean that I had lived in the desert all my life. I said I lived in the desert for about five years, and that wasn't fun. I wouldn't have wanted to live there all my life so far. But that's how long Moses lived there. And then what happened? What happened when Moses was in the desert? There was, there, was a, uh, there was something that happened that made him come back out of the desert. But what did he see in the desert when he was taking care of the sheep? Remember that story? What did he see? God came and talked to him. How did God talk to him? In the burning bush, right? What did God tell him? Yep, and he said, I hear all the... All of the Jews are back there, and, and I hear them crying out to me to deliver them, and I want you to go s- help set them free. What did Moses say? Yes. Is that what he said at first? What was the first thing he said? Hmm? You know what it was? I don't want to do it. Why did he say he didn't want to do it? He came up with a bunch of excuses. Where he's like, they won't listen to me. And God said, no, I want you to go set them free. Then the next excuse was, well, I can't talk very well. I get, I get stage fright. <laughs> a lot of people get stage fright, right? What would, what would happen? Um, John's going to... John's going to preach the message for us today. What would happen if he'd be like, you know what, I'm kind of scared to get up there today. I'm just, no, God, I'm not going to go share your word with these people. I'm too scared to get up there and stand on that stage. What do you think God would tell John? (laughs) Get up there anyway, right? That's kind of what he told Moses. Well, and he, he sent Moses' brother to help him too. So that's another story about, about Moses. So he wasn't very willing to go at first, but, but he did obey. So isn't, isn't that how sometimes we are, even kids? Mom and Dad tell us to do something. Well, I don't want to do it because of this. I don't want to do it because of that. It's too cold outside. I can't go do that. Right? Are those all excuses you've all made? Not really good to make excuses like that, but Moses, as an adult, made excuses like that. And far too often, us as adults make make excuses like that, too, to not do what God wants us to do. So making excuses is not a good thing. Let's just go do what God tells us to do, because we can see the story how God was with him. and think, I mean, things were tough, but God was with him and helped him do what he wanted him to do. And that's, that's how it works for us, too. It's never never good to just... Make excuses because it's always God will help us to do the things that we need to do. So that's one lesson I want you to remember. Now, another thing happened. I'm I'm not going to go through all the stories of Moses when he was leading the children of Israel through the desert. But right at the very end, before they were ready to go into the promised land, do you remember anything that happened there? What Something that Moses did, he did something that wasn't good. Does anyone remember what that was? He got really, really angry. 
Have any of you gotten really angry? Mm, I have. Anyone else want to admit to that? All right, yeah. Sometimes we've, we've all gotten angry sometimes. But you know what? Um, Mo- Moses, Moses got punished for it. Let me tell you what happened. So they were getting about ready. They were, they were about at the end of their journey, about at the end of the 40 years, and God was going to take them into the promised land. And all of a sudden they ran out of water again. And what happened when they ran out of water? What did all the Jews do? Complained, got angry, we're going to die, we don't have any water. So, as usual, God took care of them. He always took care of them, so they wouldn't have had to be scared or complain because God had been taking care of them like that for 40 years, so they should have trusted God by that time, right? And Moses was pretty upset with them. He was like, well, after 40 years, you're still not trusting God? And he was really, really angry that they were complaining and hadn't learned to trust God yet. So what happened? What did, what did God tell Moses to do? How did he tell him to get them water? Do you remember? Well, in this case, actually maybe I should look it up. There were two different times. He told him to speak to the rock. Am I right on that, Phil? Uh, there, was, there was a time before that where he told him to hit the rock and give them water. But... This time, God said, I want you to speak to that rock. I want you to talk to it and tell water to come out of it, and that's how I'm going to give them all water. What did Moses do? Remember, he was really angry. He didn't speak to it. What did he do? He took his stick, his rod, and he whacked the rock. He was so mad that he whacked the rock really hard. He was pretty angry. He didn't listen to God because he was so angry at people. And then... What happened? God still kept his promise, even though Moses got angry. Water came out of the rock, and all the people drank. But then Moses got a punishment for being angry like that. You know what that punishment was? He wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. Here he had led them through the wilderness all those years. And God said, I'm I'm sorry, you were supposed to be an example to them. You were supposed to follow me, but you chose to get angry instead. So what God did, God took him up on a mountain. He said, I'll show you what the promised land looks like. And Moses was a really, really old man at this time. In fact, he was 120 years old. That's pretty old, isn't it? Have you ever seen anybody that's 120 years old? No. I mean, Papa, you're about half that. Is you know, He's a grandpa. He's old, right? Is, it, is he old compared to you guys? And <laughs> He's not that old. One of the older ones here, so I have to use you as an example. But he's only a little over half that age. 120 years old. I was pretty old. But God told him, now your punishment for, for being angry and not obeying me is that you can't go into the promised land. But God did show him what the promised land would be like, so God was, still, God was still kind to him. But then Moses died. He came to the end of his life because he was a really old man. And, but he wasn't able to, to uh, experience that promise of God because, because he had disobeyed. You know, that's a, a good lesson for, for each one of us that to remember to obey God in in. All the little things, and even us, us adults have to. God will, God can 
punish us in, in ways to make us want to obey him too. And he did that to Moses. It was because God loved Moses and God loved his people. He wanted the people to have that lesson to obey and not to become angry. That's a story we don't often remember about Moses. And kind of a sad story, but yet it's a good story for us to remember. That even with all the wonderful things that God does for us, like he did for Moses, we have to remember to obey even all the little things. That seemed pretty little, you know, hitting the rock instead of talking to it. So let's, let's remember as we go through life to listen to God in those things, not to make excuses and not to be angry when God or our parents tell us to do things. We have a lot of lessons we can learn from the life of Moses in that. All right, you can go back to your seats. All right. Thank you. Um, I think our announcements are <coughs> as normal. Uh, lunch after the service, you're all welcome to stay and, and partake in that. And uh, there's uh, Christmas caroling December 23rd. Uh, it does not say where, but I assume meeting here? Here. It says 6.30, but I don't think it actually, it doesn't say here. So here at 6.30 on Friday the 23rd. Um, so come and uh, be a part of that if you'd like. I think that's pretty much it for uh, the announcements. So I will uh, turn it over to Phil and you will... Uh, moderate the rest of the service and introduce John. Just a note on the Christmas caroling. Those of you who would like to join that, what we're going to do is meet here on Friday evening at 6.30. And then um, I think Brother Dave is going to be leading out in this. And uh, we'll go around to about four houses. supposed to be really cold on Friday night, Dwayne warned me. Dwayne has, by the way, this is his brainchild. He, he's had a burden for this, and he's blessed us last year. We took two of his tractors and two of his wagons and some hay bales and, and did the little neighborhood uh, tour, which was a blessing. But Dwayne had a good suggestion that this year we'll probably just uh, go in pickups and maybe cars, and we'll stop in, in, at about four homes. He'll lead us in some songs, um, and then we'll come back here and just hang out, have some hot chocolate, coffee, perhaps some snacks, and, uh, and have a, a enjoy the rest of the evening for fellowship. So 6.30, Friday evening here. The word that came to my heart, Anthony, as you were sharing the story of Moses, was in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, about whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore... Let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation 
provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. That's God's word to us whenever we look at the examples that were written down for us. They were an example to us, and the Lord wrote them down for us to also experience God, but not make the same mistake they did. So I thank the Lord for that. And when I, when I read stories about Moses, it's not just a story. It's like, okay, Lord, I, I get it. I get it. It's an example for me. Thank you for bringing that out, brother. Brother John, would you come forward? And um, we'll pray together, and then Brother John's going to share the word with us. For those of you who don't know Brother John, John and Penny live in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And we've known each other for over 20 years and have uh, ministered together uh, numerous times. And for over the last couple of years, John has been coming uh, semi-regularly uh, and, and just blessing us by sharing the word with us. He's a gifted teacher of the word. John and Penny have ministered uh, to many in the body of Christ. Um, and the Lord has used him to, uh, to con- and continues to use him to bring the word of God to, to many. And he can share more about that if he feels led. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we bless you for our dear brother. We pray a special anointing on your word. As he shares it, Lord, I pray that you would share it with him. And as he hears, he would deliver it to us. Bless him with grace and strength and a peace that surpasses all understanding. Let him be free in the spirit. And Father, I thank you that you give us these good things to us. You gift men to bless and encourage your people. So we pray for that gift of the Holy Spirit and that fresh outpouring of rivers of living water flowing out from your word through his inner man to us. Refresh us and encourage us and build us up and convict us. And Lord, I pray if there are any here today that are prisoners of sin, set them free. Set them free indeed through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, am I on? Is that good? Okay, awesome. Stage fright. Um, you know, I, I, I've done this quite a bit over the years, but uh, if... If someone doesn't come up and stand where I'm standing right now without being intimidated and awed, then they're not, they're not in the right spot. Because this, this is an awesome responsibility to share the Word of God with people. Just read James chapter 3 if you don't understand that. Um, so, it's going to be a very familiar passage today and a not very familiar spin on it. So if you would, turn to Proverbs 31. <clears throat> so without even looking at your, at your Bible, what's Proverbs 31 famous for? The Proverbs 31... Woman. Woman. Okay. Exactly. There's some women in here. How many of you women have ever 
wanted to be a Proverbs 31 woman. Okay? How many of the men in here have wanted a Proverbs 31 wife? Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. Well, that's good. But did you also know that, that there's something else in Proverbs 31? There's a Proverbs 31 man. And that's what we're going to talk about today. That's the title of this man message is the Proverbs 31 man. Because he actually controls the key to the Proverbs 31 woman. And we'll develop that as we go through. Now, when you, when you read, we're going to read this whole thing in a little bit, but, but the Proverbs 31 woman is a superwoman. She is all that and a bag of chips. There's, there's no question about it. But I don't think that we see the development of Proverbs 31 women, and I think that is because, not because they don't want to, but because we, as their husbands, won't allow it. It's too intimidating for us. It's too threatening. She is uh, an amazing individual. But let's, let's back up a little bit, because I... When, when you start out this section, this entire chapter is kind of weird because it talks about, uh, in verse 1, the words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. So, so these words we're reading are actually inspired by a mother. And the question is, who is she? Another question is, who is King Lemuel? Because he doesn't show up in any of the list of Judah or Israel. He is not known in, as any of the kings around them. So who is this guy? Well, we don't know for sure. But the, the Jewish tradition is that uh, King Lemuel, the name Lemuel means uh, for God, was a uh, nickname that... Uh, Solomon's mother, Bathsheba, had for him. And, that, uh, and so this was actually inspired by Bathsheba, who was Solomon's mother. Now, whether that's true or not, we don't know. The historical records aren't there. But if that was the case, then that might explain another reason other than her rapturous beauty for uh, David desiring her. Just an interesting thought. Not part of the sermon, by the way. Just a, oh, by the way thing. You know, I like those. All right, so let's read, uh, let's read the passage, starting in verse 10. Who can find... I'm reading out of the New King James. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. <clears throat> the heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household 
and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She extends her hands to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Now, the, um, this, this sounds really good, but this woman is, is amazing. Uh, the, the first word that used of her, virtuous, is, is a word um, that is normally translated as army, host, power, riches, wealth, also valor. It is a it's a word that's that is it just carries with it the idea of a extremely powerful individual, very forceful, strong, uh, competent, and and right away. If you're a guy, that kind of person is very likely to threaten the dickens out of you. Like, how do you even wrap your head around the idea of having a spouse like that? She's probably better at many things than you are. Can you handle that? A lot of guys can't. They, they will never let their wives be in that kind of position. And so, from the, very, from the very outset, they may be the limiting factor in the marriage. Um, she's not just a woman of high moral character. She is competent. She is wise. She is a powerful force in her community. And she can be very threatening. Now, the secret to this whole passage is verse 11. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. So he will have no lack of gain. It is to his benefit to safely trust his wife. Why? Because the only thing that she's looking to do is to glorify God and to honor and glorify her husband. 
She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. That is her motivation. She is not out being self-seeking. She's not a Jezebel. She is wanting to bring glory and honor to her husband through her efforts and through her work. That is the throbbing desire of her heart. And we men many times misread that and think that, nah, got to get my thumb on top of this. I got a Jezebel going on here. You, you, you think about this in reality and see if it doesn't smack you as, as Jezebel when you really think about what she's, 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 she's doing real estate transactions. She's a businesswoman. She's making profits. She is the one that people are consulting for wisdom. Can you handle that, men? If you can't, then don't blame her for not being a Proverbs 31 woman because you're not setting a climate in which she can thrive and grow and develop into the woman that God wants her to be. <clears throat> when it says that her husband safely trusts her, that, that word, um, it, it means to be, be so completely trusting of someone that you're even careless about what they do. You don't care. You don't care what they do. There's an example from Genesis where uh, when, when Joseph went to Potiphar's estate as a slave, Potiphar put him in charge of his entire estate, his household and everything, and, it's, and it says he didn't, he didn't know his right hand from his left. He had no clue what Joseph was doing. He com trusted him completely. That is the idea. Uh, same thing happened when, when Joseph went to, to prison after he was falsely accused by, by uh, Potiphar's wife. Same thing. The, the jailer turned over everything in the, in the prison to him and paid no attention to what he did. He could trusted him completely. This is the word that, that God says how we are as husbands to trust our wives. We put something in their charge, and we, we leave it alone. We get our hands off of it, and unless they say, hey, I need help here, we assume that they're doing it correctly. That is this kind of trust that the Proverbs 31 man has for his wife. So this trust is, is the key to setting her free to be able to honor God, to serve her family, to make you look good as a husband. If we don't have that level of trust, then we're stymieing her. We're choking the, the, the spiritual growth out of her. Uh, and she is only wanting, again, to serve God, her family, her husband. Those are her desires. Uh, but if we, if we look at the things that she, that she does, you know, uh, she's, she's tireless. She's working from before dawn to after dark. She's negotiating business deals for raw materials. She's conducting real estate transactions. She's, uh, she's running a management 
team because I guarantee you she didn't have time to go plant a vineyard and tend it. So she's got people under her that are doing that for her. She is a, a supervisor. She is, she is um, uh, physically fit and strong. She's not a wimp. She, she's actually a very strong person physically. She's being sought out for her wisdom. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. oh, you want to speak to Penny? Okay, here, here's the phone, honey. You know, it, that kind of idea, right? She is, she's not saying, well, I'll go, you know, go ask my husband. She's giving wisdom to people. She is on her own initiative. She is serving the poor. No doubt using some of the profits that she has, has gained from her business. And um, she's making fine fabric. She's an, she's an artist. She, is a, uh, she has a, a, a deep desire to be creative and make beauty for people. She dresses herself and her family in very nice clothes, expensive clothes. If, if you look at the, the context of... Scarlet, fine linen, and purple, that was not common clothing in, in her time. Those were things that were, were noteworthy, that, uh, that more like royalty wore. And, uh, and she wanted to dress her family well. She wanted them to be uh, comfortable. She wanted to bring honor and esteem to, to her family. And, uh, and she is the household manager. She's the one that's watching over the household and what's going on with it. So, when we look at these things, this is, this is very, very threatening for an insecure male. And I don't know many males that aren't insecure, especially when they're younger. I know I certainly was. You can't, you can't let your wife develop like that. She'll make you look bad. You'll be insignificant. Like, oh, we got a lot of growing up to do, guys. That's, that's the bottom line. Is we got a lot of, of growing up to do and maturing to, to, to be the person that is willing and able to develop our wives into someone who is um, extremely competent, maybe more so than we are in some areas, Okay. She's never going to be the authority over the household, right? I mean, we are, we are the ones who are in authority by God's design. But that doesn't mean that we wouldn't be in a position to let her develop all of these things and maybe even rise above us in some areas. That is our job. If we love her as Christ loves the church, that, is our, that should be the desire of our heart. And, and the fact that it maybe is not that way, we are the problem in, in her development, not her. So um, we, we've got a, here's, here's some things that I wrote down as I was, as I was mulling over this. Um, God really put this burden on my heart earlier this year in the spring, and, uh, and it's been kind of just like developing and, and and it was a few months ago, I knew that this is the next message I wanted to share here. And, um, and I, I really felt a burden to try to bring this out. So if, if our wives are going to achieve their full potential, 
there's a number of things that we've got to do. We've got to completely trust her judgment and her loyalty. We have to be at least reasonably competent ourselves and uh, have wisdom. We need to be free of insecurity. She might have a better head for business than we do. She might uh, be more sought after for her wisdom. Uh, we need to remember that she's not seeking her own honor, but God's and ours. We need to be at least as interested in developing her talents as our own. We need to be content to let God use her fully, even if that ministry puts her more in the public limelight than, than we are. We need to not micromanage our wives. If she can conduct business and real estate transactions, she doesn't really need our uh, approval for the grocery list. We need to treat her as an equal in the marriage, not as property and not as a second-class citizen. We need to allow her to dress beautifully on the outside as well as on the, on the inside because she wants to feel good about herself and be a good reflection on her husband. We need to praise and encourage her in her successes. If you look at the last verse of that passage, verse 31, it says, Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. I believe that that command right there is being addressed to husbands. Because we are the ones who are in the position to allow those things, to give her the fruit of her hands and to let her own works praise her in the gates, that she is publicly known. Um, now, it can be, he's, this, is, uh, this hit me this morning, uh, verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. And I was thinking about that and chuckling because I thought, yeah, I know what he's known for. He's known for his wife. That's what he's known for. It's like, oh, you're, you're, you're Penny's husband. I, more than probably at least half a dozen times I can think of. Uh, I'll be in the grocery store with Penny or somewhere else, and, and, uh, and somebody, some woman will come up and, and say something like, oh, yeah. You're Penny. You're, you're Penny Olive. It's like, oh, I, I've been following you on Facebook or whatever and, and, and with her quilting site. And, and, and I'll just kind of stand there and it's like, yeah, that's my wife. That doesn't threaten me anymore. I love that. That's awesome. That is an amazing experience to, um, to have your wife known for, for her talents and abilities. Now, I tell you what, in my mid-20s, no, I couldn't handle that. That would have been that would have been over the top. It's like we we need to get this under control. We, we, you are making me look bad, honey. It's like she wouldn't she wasn't the problem. It was me. All right, guys, we need to grow up emotionally and quit having uh, you know all of these uh, insecurities and all these things that 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 make us feel threatened 
by our wives' success. We should want them to be successful. They are trying to make us look good. Now, some other things the husband like that will be known for in the gates. Number one is humility. Because he's, he is in a position to where, in some areas at least, his wife is more competent than he is. And if he's going to be okay with that, he's got to be a humble guy. Another thing he's going to be known for in the gates is his passion about developing the people around him. Because again, he can't allow his wife to be doing these things if he is not fully invested in that. He is wanting her to succeed. He is wanting to, to see her grow and blossom in her responsibilities and in her uh, creativity. So, yes, his, her husband is known in the gates. It doesn't tell us what for, but there's some things that have to go with a man who, who trusts his wife and is willing to let her shine. Okay? Uh, he's got good judgment. That's another one. Now, I've already told you that uh, I always I wasn't always... Um, uh, a, a P31 man, so to speak. And, um, oh, I made a serious blunder uh, a number of years ago, which I'm, I'm going to tell you about. So, so some of you know that I used to, I, my work career was as a federal probation officer, and so I dealt with people that made a lot of mistakes, obviously. And so, like, in a very short period of time, I had, I had two different cases where women had, had um, been embezzling funds and, and, uh, and, and kind of drove their, their families into bankruptcy um, through their codependency, you know, uh, wanting to please everybody. And they don't have enough money, so they, they you know, take it from work and, and uh, they're going to pay it back. And they don't, you know, and it blows up. And... And I panicked. I, there's no other word for it. I just panicked. And so I'm thinking, I, 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 don't, know what, I don't know what Penny's doing with the money. I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't think anything's going wrong, but I need to be more involved. I need to be over this thing. So I came home, and it's like, you know, there's going to be some changes around here. And, uh, and we're just going to, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I need to see what you're doing and how you're doing it so that I can keep track and she's like, what? You know, you, 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 where did this come from? And so I, I kind of shared a little bit about what was going on at work. And, and she's like, well, I'm sorry, but I'm not a criminal. I'm the same wife you've had for a long time. And um, you don't know anything about how to manage money or even balance a checkbook. Your idea of managing, uh, uh, balancing a checkbook, is, I told her this when we got married. It's like, I get the statement from the bank, I look at my checkbook, if they're different, I write down whatever the bank says in my checkbook. Okay, all right. <laughs> yes, exactly. So there was a good reason why Penny was looking after the finances for the family, because I was an idiot when it came to that stuff. And here I am now, suddenly I'm going to be, you know, doing my manly thing here, and we're going to just, you know, get this under control so we don't have a disaster. Oh, I had a disaster on my hands, but it had nothing to do with the finances. It had to do with 
with my wife perceiving that I didn't trust her anymore. That was my job, was to safely trust her. And I was blowing it. And it caused, it caused a lot of misery. And well, well, the first thing she did is like, okay, fine. You just do it all. Oh, no, that's not what I wanted. I didn't want that at all because I knew I wasn't competent in that area. And plus, I was busy. I had all kinds of other stuff going on. No, I don't want to do that. I just want to be able to kind of like, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that looks good, that looks good. But no, that wasn't going to work because she wasn't feeling the trust from me, right? The trust wasn't there. And so everything was breaking down. And I quickly realized the error of my mistake. But it took a long time for me to build that trust back up to where she wasn't feeling like I wasn't trusting her. So this is, this is, a, this is a big deal. Your job is to trust your wife. Now, if she, you know, does something that's untrustworthy, that's a different issue. But you're not going to assume that that's going to happen. You're not even going to tolerate the possibility of that happening. If it does, you deal with it. But you don't, you don't go there. You are to safely trust her just like Potiphar and the jailer trusted Joseph. You put them in charge of it, turn it over to them, you forget about it. That is trust. That's biblical trust of a husband to his wife. And that allows her to feel like, wow, this is cool. I can actually develop, and my husband is going to support me in, in these things. Now, I know that, that um, uh, there, when I look at the, the P31 list for women... I get intimidated just thinking about all the things that she's doing. So I'm sure sometimes women would as well. Um, it's kind of overwhelming to think about the responsibilities that this, that this woman has. So if your wife is a little insecure about some of the things that, that are in here, help her grow, help her develop, give her permission to make mistakes, give her permission to try something new and to... And to, and to step outside the box and, and, and blossom. And I think you'll, you'll, you'll be uh, blessed in that. Now, as, as I got, as I was, I was getting to the end of my studies with this, something else occurred to me, is that when, when we look at the relationship between Christ and the church, this is exactly how... The Lord is with us. He trusts us with the gospel. He's not, he's not intervening. He doesn't have billboards in the sky. And, and, and he's not coming back and saying, hey, what about that? Would you do this? Would you? No, he has left it to us. And he has equipped us. It's like, well, yeah, I, I, did, some, I did some pretty phenomenal works when I was in ministry, but you're going to do greater works. You're going to take what I did and you're going to advance it. You're going to do more than I did. Jesus is never recorded in Scripture as walking by in his shadow healing people, as Peter did. Jesus never grabbed handkerchiefs and sent them out to the sick, and when they touched the handkerchiefs, they were healed. 
Paul did that. Jesus was content, and, and actually more than content, passionate about seeing his bride go further than him. He developed her, and he still does in our lives every day. So the question is, can Jesus safely trust us with the authority he's given us? As, as we learn to let go of our, I don't know, innate desire to nitpick and, and control our wives, um, I think we're going to find that uh, we're going to have a different relationship with them and a different relationship with our Lord because we're going to see that He's not trying to control us. He's trying to empower us and develop us and help us do the work of ministry. That, that's what we're here for. Our wives are to be similarly empowered with trust and skill and time to develop everything that they can do in, um, in ministry to uh, the poor, to their families, to their communities, and, and, and be uh, uh, people that, that bring glory and honor to us as, as, as husbands. So we have to be Proverbs 31 men uh, and safely trust our wives so that they can approach as close as possible the model of the Proverbs 31 woman. May the Lord give us wisdom in these things. Amen, brother. <clears throat> On that line of thought, the truth that Jesus told us in John 14, verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. The one greater work I believe Jesus was talking about was not so much the physical miracles, though some of those happened a couple of times. It was the one thing that he entrusts still to us today, to every believer, no matter what your ministry is. Jesus never converted one soul. His ministry was outward. The Holy Spirit had not yet come. And that's why he said, you're going to do greater works than me because I go to the Father. And then he continues... And it's needful that I go because I will send the comforter. And that's why he told Peter, when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. Jesus could never convert a soul, change the inner man. That's the much greater work that he entrusts to us through the power of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel in such a way with such powerful authority that it may not heal you physically it will change you inwardly convert your soul wow boy that really spoke to me when you said that that's the entrusting love of our husband to his bride that's powerful 
Many people would look at that more on the physical sense, and they either feel condemned or they encourage people, you know, you should be doing much greater physical things than Jesus. But if you look at the context of what Jesus was teaching, that's not what he was saying. He was speaking of when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll give life to men in the inner man. He'll change, transform men, and that's exactly what has been going on ever since he left in every generation that he is faithful with. And it can happen with a child. As soon as that child is born again, they act and speak in such a way it will convert their parents. Many, many testimonies are all throughout the church history and in our world today of that. Isn't that glorious? That to me is glorious. Another quick observation about the Proverbs 31 woman and her, who she is. That first word, she's a virtuous woman. That word you'll find in 2 Peter chapter 1 is the first thing we should add to our faith. Those who never stumble in their life add to your faith virtue. And if you look at the Greek meaning, and also the Hebrew, it means the same thing. One of the rare words that mean the same thing in both the Greek and the Hebrew. It means moral excellence. And it's really interesting to me that one of the greatest warnings about the Old and the New Testament is on this line of moral excellence. There is no greater warning in the scriptures to men than an immoral woman. She's the greatest danger and we are warned the most about such a woman because she is highly dangerous. She has made many men fall. So the Lord says, immoral woman, most dangerous person on the earth. Moral woman, the most Powerful person on the earth. Isn't it amazing? Wow. If we men recognize that, and we marry a woman like that, no wonder we stand in all of her and we can trust her safely. I'll tell you a funny story about my wife and I too, because this is, I believe the Lord wants to work this out in every one of us Christian couples. And if we men humbly walk with our God. Like you said, we won't be intimidated by this. When, when Katie and I first in our life, the Holy Spirit first showed up in our life in a powerful way and changed us, uh, shortly after that, we were invited to join a ministry of a, of a youth conference, a Bible school, and to be principals at this Bible school or part of the moderators. There were three couples who overseen the whole thing and planned it. And then, you know, it was a large Bible school uh, that, that happened. Young people came from uh, all over the United States and, and different parts of the world. And in most times, we spent the whole week together. Up to four to 600 young people would come. And we spent the, the whole year planning this and bringing teachers together and all of this. And then through that week, we mingled throughout the young people and we did this for a number of years, many years then. But 
I remember after the first year of doing that, uh, the next Sunday we went to church there, the church that hosted the youth conference, and and after church I stood around, you know, and I was just greeting people, but nobody was really coming to me. And I look over, and and Katie was in the middle aisle, and. It, at, at that time, this church had what they called separate seating. The women sat on this side of the aisle. Men sat on this side. So we didn't sit together as couples for the church service. And so I look over at Katie, and Katie's talking to someone here, maybe a second row or so. And there's this long line of women lined up waiting to speak to her. And I was like, huh, nobody's lining up to speak to me. And so I kind of find my way back, you know, and... And a, and a young lady comes to me and she goes, I wish I could talk to Katie, but there's a long line waiting to talk to her. And I guess I'll talk to her next Sunday. And I'm just like, I guess. I'll never forget that. I was only 24 years old. We had only been married a couple of years. And that's how the Holy Spirit began to do that work in my heart of showing me that value virtuous woman. And over the years, the Lord has developed this in our life, and I'm so thankful that today the Lord has both humbled me and given me that grace and continues to do that, because it does take grace for our man eagle, not only to accept it, but embrace it and promote her. And the other thing that I want to note about her husband sits in the elders in the gate with the elders of the land. If you look at that word elders, again, the same word in the Greek and the Hebrew, Old and New Testament, her husband is governing the land. He's part of the governing body of the land. The first time you'll find the word elders is when God called up 70 men shortly after he brought Israel out of Egypt and they appointed 70 men to help govern Israel with Moses. And they met God. And they ate and drank in his presence up in the mountain. And from that time forward, God governed his people through a body of elders. Into today yet. The church is to be governed by a body of men called elders. And if you note that, that's a virtuous woman. And that's why 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and 2 say, the elders, men who are appointed as elders in the church, are to have a virtuous wife. One of their qualifications must be that she's a virtuous wife. Or else she'll become a dangerous woman. Wow, that just brought up a whole lot of stuff. Thank you for sharing it. Does anyone else, we have a little bit of time, does anyone else have a testimony or something you would like to share? Any of you ladies feel encouraged to share? I uh, brought this up before, but I never forget when soon after we got married, remember I was only 20 years old, my wife 18, and we went to the dentist and got our teeth worked on. And this is one of the first times now that I got the checkbook out and started scribbling, I guess. And it wasn't going the best for me. And my wife said, do you want me to do that? And I looked at her and, can you? Oh, yeah, I help my mom all the time. 
And she wrote that check out so professionally, and I couldn't believe it. And I was so thankful because I stumbled around and a little bit like John, you know, um, thinking, you know, I got to try to get the finances in order and everything and thought I knew how. But she was so much better in, in writing checks out and doing cursive and spelling than I did. And I was seeing right away she's got a gift there I don't have. So she did it ever since. And it's been a blessing in our home allow her to do that and she taught her girls out and her in-laws and all that so that was my first vision that I was so blessed with being young and and that was one part she always took over and so thankful for over the years. <laughs> In a tent, huh? Even to her needy husband. I just want to encourage both husbands and wives today. This word is an instructive word to both of us. In fact, you leaned heavily towards men. Where's the Proverbs 31 man? But if we're lacking in this, let's not see it as a, let's not be intimidated. Let's use it as an opportunity to come to the throne of grace. And find grace and help in our time of need. And we have a Jesus who is longing to courage. Smoking flax he will not put out. He won't blow out a candle. Even if it's just a little candle. So if, if your marriage is suffering or you're, you're suffering in those areas, be encouraged. We can begin to build each other up in this way. And begin to put this word in our life. And it, our, we men can begin to, to be blessed and feel secure in the calling God has put on our lives and likewise with you women. I, another kind of funny little thing that just came to my mind is many times throughout the 20-some years that we've been pastored God's people in different ways, people have come up and said to Katie, I think you're the perfect pastor's wife. I don't remember everyone ever telling me I'm the perfect pastor. <laughs> there you have it. I'm her wife. I'm her husband. Anyone else? Okay, let's rise to our feet and um, come before the Lord and thank him for his word. Father, we just want to bless you, praise you for your goodness to us. Your word is perfect and it converts the soul. And I thank you for your word today and the simple truth of the gospel and how you put this mantle of truth, this burden of truth on Brother John's heart 
and have stirred it in his heart, Lord, and, and he's served it to us and served it to us well, and now he's stirred up our hearts and our minds with this truth, and I pray it would encourage and build us up, each one of us who are married and those who are not married, I pray it would put a hunger and a thirst in their life to experience this truth. For your glory, for your honor, in Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. By the way, just a quick announcement. Huh? I think so.